This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello and welcome to another episode, exciting episode, hopefully, of Because I Said So on American Family Radio exclusively Saturday afternoons at 6 o'clock Eastern Time, and you can do the math from there, I'm sure. I'm your host, John Roseman. I'm a heretic, outlier, family psychologist, syndicated newspaper columnist, uh, now syndicated radio talk show host. How about that? And um, I've written about uh, 18 books on parenting and family issues. My website is at John Rosemond with a D on the end dot com. So here is a, a true story from the Rosemond Parenting Files. I have a daughter who's now 45 years old. Her name is Amy. She's actually our administrative assistant and has been for a number of years. When she was a preteen, I think it was she was around 11, 12, she became rather suddenly, spontaneously anxious about going to sleep because of fears of dying in the middle of the night. When I would tuck her in, I was her preferred tucker inner. She would tell me, usually very tearfully, that she didn't want to go to sleep because she was afraid of never waking up. So as a good daddy is supposed to do in situations of that sort, I would remain in her bedroom explaining, reassuring, giving her as many facts, medical and otherwise, as I possibly could. And I'd stay there for, I don't know, upwards of 30 minutes until she would finally give me the all clear. Sometimes, however, my sleep therapy wouldn't stick, in which case she would come into our bedroom and wake me up in the wee hours of the morning to tell me that her anxiety disorder with obsessive compulsive and phobic features was preventing her from sleeping. And I'd get up out of bed and I'd take her back to her room and I'd sit there and talk to her and so on and so on and so forth. And this began happening every night and quite often in the middle of the night, uh, once or twice sometimes in the middle of the night. I eventually figured out that I was spending, oh, four to six hours a week trying to talk Amy out of being sleep phobic. And I belatedly realized that my well-chosen words weren't working. In fact, I came to the conclusion that her fears seemed to be worsening, which strongly implied, horror of horrors, that I wasn't a parenting expert after all. So I began to ponder this situation and eventually figured out that her condition, her sleep phobia, anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive, et cetera, et cetera, whatever my colleagues would call that. I'm sure they would have some new diagnosis for it and uh, some new medication to take care of it, undoubtedly. Anyway, uh, I figured out that her condition seemed to be worsening, not because I couldn't figure out the magic words that would restore her mental health at bedtime, 
but because I was talking at all. My talk, 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 talking effectively validated her fears. Why, pray tell, would I be talking at all if her fears didn't deserve a lot of serious attention? So, upon that epiphany, I stopped talking. And the next time Amy told me, tearfully, that she was afraid of going to sleep, I said, yeah, I know. That sort of fear is not unusual at your age. And I've said all I have to say, Amos. I called her Amos. I've said all I have to say, Amos. I don't have anything to add. I'm repeating myself. I'm doing nothing but repeating myself. And you're not an unintelligent person. So you're just going to have to either learn to live with it or put an end to it. I'm not helping, obviously. So, my little princess, I love you. Kiss, kiss. See you in the morning. And exit, daddy, stage left. Amy was, as you might imagine, none too happy with that turn of events. She continued night after night trying to engage me in her fears She'd begin bawling as I left her room, for example. She may have even yelled something like, you'll be sorry if I'm dead in the morning. Children are, after all, soap opera factories. I, however, am proud to say that I stayed the course. It was not, mind you, an easy thing to do. I was beset with self-doubt. Had I abandoned my child? Was I a covert sadist, a sociopath even? Parental self-doubt is a very deceptive thing. Several weeks passed before I noticed that Amy's demons seemed to have released their grip on her. When I would tuck her in, she would make no attempt to get me to hang around talking in vain. And it occurred to me that the very thing no psychologist in good standing would recommend had been key to Amy's recovery, her cure, if you will. The very thing no psychologist in good standing would recommend, that I not talk, that I refuse to talk with her any further about her bedtime fears. And that experience, it was kind of a turning point. I mean, it was really a watershed. It led me to begin recommending to other parents my no-talking cure for childhood fears. I would point out to the parents in question that by the time they had come to me seeking my advice, they had said everything to their child that there was to say about the fears in question. They were repeating themselves over and over again, as I had been doing with Amy, as if their children were dense. They were on a constant search for magic words that don't exist. Furthermore, and unwittingly so, I mean, all of this is very well-intentioned. Their talk-talk-talking was verifying that the child's fears were serious matters, deserving, therefore, of much parental consternation, and therefore ever more talk, talk, talking, and around and around they went until they stopped talking. Every time I have recommended my new, amazing, ironic, and most peculiar cure for anxiety disorder with obsessive, compulsive, and phobic features, 
ADO CPF. That's what it's, uh, I've given it that name. I've invented a new diagnosis, anxiety disorder with obsessive, compulsive, and phobic features, ADO CPF. Every time I recommended my no talking cure for ADO CPF, and I mean obsessive fears of all sorts, mind you, anxieties of all sorts, it worked. And it continues to work to this day which is one reason of many why I don't believe, with very rare exception, that young children should be allowed to engage in one-on-one, as in private conversations with therapists. Having been trained to talk to children, and this this is very paradoxical, having been trained in graduate school, in my graduate school uh, psychology education, I was trained to talk to children, and having undergone that training, I refused to do so, for the most part. And I'll explain that after the break. In the case of irrational, and they are irrational. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Daddy, I'm afraid of dying in my sleep from a perfectly healthy 11-year-old is completely irrational. Does she believe it? Yes, She believes it because children's imaginations are overactive and children have uh, a somewhat difficult time uh, separating what is complete uh, fantasy in their thinking from what is uh, anchored in reality. In the case of irrational anxieties, fears, phobias, blah, 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 These parent-child or therapist-child conversations are likely to lend significance to something that is nothing more than a product of a child's rather, as I said, overactive and random imagination. Contrary to the standard and, and, by the way, unproven psychological narrative, like 99.9% of stuff in the psychological narrative, this is wrong too. The fears in question do not represent, quote, issues, end quote, in a child's life that said child cannot safely express or lacks the words with which to express. They are literally meaningless, meaningless. Therefore, the less attention they are given, the better. Once again, what I said to Amy and what I've recommended to countless parents is, Amy, I've said all I can think of to say about you dying in your sleep at the age of 11 or 12. I cannot think of anything else to tell you other than what I have already told you. So I'm not going to talk about this with you anymore you are simply going to have to learn to deal with it, get a grip on it, get over it, love you, mean it, and walk away. And some people might uh, say, ooh, John, that's pretty cold-hearted. And I would say, no, the result indicates the validity of the approach. And the result of that approach has been, over the years, uh, nearly 100% positive. Therefore, it is not cold-hearted. It is 
intelligent and rational, if I do say so myself. So stay tuned for more on this provocative subject when we come back from this important break from American Family Radio. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So, four words that are associated with a traditional parenting ethic, one that began falling out of favor in the 1960s as we began listening in America to people like me, people with capital letters after their names, impressive capital letters, usually in the mental health or pediatric professions, tell us, American parents, how to raise children. If you're joining the show for the first time, you might want to know that I am a psychologist and I am the thorn in the side of the mental health professions in America because I go around the country and I tell as many audiences gathered in as many places as I can the absolute truth, and that is that Psychology and the mental health professions in general have caused more problems for the American parent, family, child, marriage, mother, father, husband, wife, school, culture, community, America than psychologists and mental health professionals even know how to solve. My profession is populated by a lot of reasonably intelligent people who do not know what they are doing. And I never miss an opportunity to tell people, especially in churches, especially evangelical churches around the country, that psychology is the most atheistic profession in America and that uh, Christians should not be involved with psychology. Psychology is not a science. It's a philosophy. It's a worldview that stands in 180-degree opposition to a biblical worldview, and uh, where problems of living, thinking, emotion, and relationship are concerned, Christians should keep psychologists and the mental health professions at arm's length. I'm also bold enough to say that there is no such thing as a Christian psychologist, the term is an oxymoron. It is internally self-contradictory. These are two opposing worldviews. These are two opposing understandings of human nature. It is impossible to reconcile them into some sort of functional hybrid that one might call Christian psychology. You are either a Christian or you are a psychologist. Now, there are a lot of Christian counselors out there or biblical counselors who counsel strictly from the word, and I have complete approval of what they are doing. But biblical counseling, you see, doesn't require a PhD in psychology. So I was uh, talking during the first half of the show about uh, this uh, amazing, ironic, and peculiar cure that I came up with 
uh, many years ago, when my daughter Amy, who's now 45, was about 11 or 12 years old, she began expressing fears of dying in her sleep. And I would, every night, because I was the preferred tucker in her, I would sit there and I would talk to her about uh, her fears of dying in her sleep. And I finally realized that this talk, 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 talking was getting her nowhere. In fact, in the course of all this talking, I was validating her fears. I was lending them significance. And so I stopped talking to Amy about her bedtime fears, and they went away rather quickly. And so I extended that to my private practice. I was in private practice at the time. It was about 1983, 84, somewhere in there. And uh, began to refuse to talk to children. Their parents would bring them in and and they would want me to talk to their children. And I would say to the parents, I don't think there's anything your child can tell me that uh, is going to advance my understanding of the situation at all. Uh, Children do not represent reality correctly. And, uh, uh, you know, tossed into a room with a strange adult Their anxieties are going to take over, and they're probably just going to tell said adult, in this case me, uh, what they think I want to hear. And I'll be doing nothing but wasting everybody's time and your money. Well, there were, there were some parents, to be very honest with you, who, you know, they didn't like to hear that. They wanted me to cure their child of whatever it was. Um, you know, defiance, rebellion, tantrums, whatever it was. They wanted me to talk to the child in question pronounce magic words of some sort that they thought I possessed over the child and heal their child of the psychological demons that were inhabiting him or her. And so, uh, you know, disgruntled, they would uh, take their child and their money and they would leave. When I look back on those private practice years, I realize that there was never one instance when a parent, when I would talk to children, But before this epiphany that I'm talking about, there was never one instance where after I spoke to a child in private in my office about whatever the problem was, never one instance where parents subsequently told me that uh, the problems they were having with their children disappeared after I talked to their children. What the average layperson does not know, and this is extremely important, folks, is that no consistent body of research, and I'm being very careful when I say this because every word is important, no consistent body of research done by people who, as we say in the South, have no dog in the hunt, confirms the reliable efficacy of any psychological therapy. Therapeutic outcome studies consistently find that about as many consumers report dissatisfaction with therapy as report satisfaction with therapy. Now, studies on outcomes with uh, therapeutic outcomes with children are lacking, not to mention that some that uh, such outcomes are difficult to measure. But over the years, a significant number of parents have reported to me that putting their children in therapy made the problems in question worse rather than better. My personal finding 
was that therapy with children was a general waste of not only everyone's time, but also other people's, in other words, parents' money. The, the problem, in my estimation, begins with the training and philosophical biases uh, that are instilled into future therapists during graduate school. Uh, these philosophical biases instilled during the years one spend, spends uh, training to become a psychologist, a therapist, a disposed therapist to talk to children about their feelings. Such conversations are, in my estimation, very likely to give children the impression that their feelings concerning certain issues or topics are not only legitimate, but should also govern their parents' behavior. By the way, play therapy, which I regard as the therapeutic equivalent of using leeches to cure cancer, is the worst of the lot. The fact is, as the Bible tells us, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, children's emotions are as undisciplined as their thought processes. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, ESV, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Some translations have the word as folly. The word is always bound as if foolishness or folly is imprisoned in the heart of a child. And the heart, of course, is the biblical organ of emotion. Just as children think incorrectly, so can their feelings, their emotions, reflect nothing more than immaturity and an inclination towards soap opera, self-drama. And to this one can add two further truths. Children often misinterpret events and are highly susceptible to suggestion. And when you combine all of those variables, the rather inescapable conclusion is that a child's emotions are rarely a valid indication of anything more significant than his or her need to grow up. A process, in this case therapy, that involves the risk of confirming a child's feelings, of assigning significance and meaning to them, is potentially counterproductive, even incendiary. It is, in my estimation, a risk that therapists should undertake with great caution if they undertake it at all. I will concede that there are probably a small minority of situations involving a small minority of children in which child counseling can be justified for a conservative, as in short, period of time. But child counseling therapy is not, in my estimation, justified when the problem involves the child's refusal to accept the legitimacy of adult authority. In other words, when the problem is rebellion, defiance, when the problem is simply a matter of immaturity, which explains most childhood fears and anxieties, or when the problem is parents who have not insisted from a relatively early age on emotional self-control. During my private practice years, I would sometimes consent to see a child in a private session if the child expressed what I thought was a sincere desire to talk to me. I have to add, however, that the kids in question rarely had anything of note to tell me, and I wasn't about to ask them how they felt about something. As a result, 
Said conversations turned to be nothing turned out to be nothing more than costly one-offs. Trips down one-way streets. Folks, go to my website, johnroseman.com, in upcoming weeks. I will be speaking in Elkhart, Indiana, Bloomington, Illinois, New Bern, North Carolina, Temple Church. That's my hometown. Surf City, North Carolina, at a church called The Gathering. Richmond, Virginia, at Hunter Classical Christian School. And Winchester, Virginia, at a private Christian school. My website, johnroseman.com. Time's up. Sorry. Gotta go. Six o'clock Eastern Time, every Saturday afternoon. American Family Radio. Your host, John Roseman, signing off. God bless you. God bless your families. Bye-bye.